it is like suddenly what you do it, it not just what you believe but what you do really matters and that's a whole another revolutionary idea like I said everything has changed <laughs> like nothing is what it was but it's all it's all good stuff I have everything to live for <laughs> that's how I feel I have more to live for than I ever did before and correspondence about spiritual de- and reconstruction. Season 3, Episode 1, Targets. Welcome back, everyone. You know, it feels about as weird to just begin this season as it did to end the last one. And maybe that's the nature of a podcast about stories and process that our starts or finishes always feel abrupt. Or maybe it's just because it's been a minute since we put one of these together. But I know for the producers of The Airing of Grief, we've all benefited from the time to reflect and regroup. And I hope you can hear that in the conversations this season. If you don't know me, I'm Kevin. We have some amazing calls and discussions to put out there into the world, and they're very much in sync with where we had said we'd wanted the podcast to go. We also have our producer Jamie's thesis, which we've recorded and will be featuring portions of each week, and our producer Derek's brand new album Targets, which isn't even officially out yet, but will song by song be providing the soundtrack and sonic backdrop to this entire season. So lots of new. And this premiere episode is a pivot from where we were to where we're headed. And where else to kick off season three but with some stories of birth and rebirth? This is about the healthy attribution of our targets. It's about what we're taking with us, about generations and emancipations, about children and parents and middle space. And this episode actually features three calls from Derek and Jamie and me, so I don't want to do too much in opening, but if you're new to the podcast, know that sometimes we feature multiple conversations in parallel, and we might weave between those conversations in a way that hopefully highlights their intersections, how they're distinct and what they have in common, and how they play into the larger voice of the community of us. Some weeks you'll hear from people who no longer hold to any sort of faith construct. Other weeks you'll hear from people who do, but the common thread will be reconstruction. Life reimagined from how we once approached it. I'll come back at the end for announcements, some new Patreon content and rewards, and also how you can be a part of Season 3, Episode 2 next week. It's super simple, so stay tuned. Alright, let's get into it. Hey. <laughs> it's a it's a weird thing if you've never used it before, but yeah. Yeah, it's super weird. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. Hi. 
How's it going? Not bad. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It is gloomy and rainy here in Nashville, which is exactly how I like it. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Good to hear. Man, I'm so thrilled to get to talk to you again. Thanks a lot. But absolutely, because we've Same spoken here. before. Um, yeah. We we spoke for season one, and it was such a meaningful episode, and infected so many people, and we certainly heard so much about that episode, and and we've wanted to follow up for officially here for a long time. And well, first of all, let me. I just I'm sure you guys get this a lot, but I wanted to thank you for doing this i'm sure listening to so many stories can it must get exhausting after a while (laughs) but i I think it's a great thing you guys are doing and um it's definitely helped me feel less isolated in all of this so i appreciate it well us too and that's that's why we wanted to do it and it's for sure gotten easier since we started sharing the responsibility of it yeah you know in season one derek took around 100 calls all on his own wow wow and you know there were people that were like you shouldn't let the thing the calls be longer and we didn't disagree with that but we're like how much time do we think derek has to just do calls yeah it is exhausting when people are telling you some of their their greatest hurts and their greatest triumphs it's like that sharing that emotional weight and it's like therapy man but thank you thank you so much yeah yeah of course i loved what you had to say in your little section of like tell us a little bit about yourself and it was so compelling and you know with the way that we're centering this season around stories kind of stories on the other side and on this side i think you know Sometimes there's freedom, sometimes there's hope, but sometimes there's pain and sometimes there's confusion. And I I was so compelled by what you were talking about, about the kind of like the confusion or the complication of that perceived middle space. And now with this current season that we're doing, it just felt like the absolute perfect time because as I think you know, the, you know, we spent some time in the leaning further on the deconstruction side of things and really processing yep. grief and processing just the, all the gamut emotions that, that accompany going through all that. But now I think we're all ready to start talking about the reconstruction, what's on the other side and the, mm-hmm. the joy and the liberation and the, the new family, the new friends, the new practices, the new everything. And you just seem like the perfect person to talk to about that. <laughs> so, oh, thanks so much. That means, um, that means everything. Thanks. Oh, <laughs> Well, I mean, already such a, a brave and aspirational story. And so now we're, I would just love an update. And I think it's going to sure. tick every one of those boxes. And so just <laughs> wherever you want to start, let's, sure, let's hear some yeah. more of your story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, where to begin? I know. Um, <laughs> so much has happened. Yeah. Since the, we talked maybe, was it a year and a half ago? I think so. Yeah. And at that point I was a double agent <laughs> in yes. the church. I, I was working full time as a creative arts director at a church all the while publicly uh, trying to play a role and trying to spread a message. But secretly, I I had my own role and my own message. That's uh, right. Spiritually, my, my beliefs had just been in shambles for years and I had been a doubter um, a long time leading up to that. And I had been um, and still am. <laughs> um, mm-hmm gay and so not a lot of people if anybody knew that at the time so that's where i i left things with you i um i think we even said that i was i was i saw it as maybe a 
a reverse mission field. That's that's what we that's what we called it. Yeah. And so <laughs> I kept at it, and as time went on, I just felt my my soul <laughs> crumbling. Mm-hmm. I, I I just month by month and um, holiday after holiday and project after project, I I just felt like I don't I don't know if I have the energy to give to this thing because I'm not I'm not seeing the results that. I was hoping for, I, um, um, it seemed like the church's teachings were getting a little more progressive and I was, I was excited. I thought I, I can be a part of this, yeah. uh, steering this, the slow moving ship. And it's just like a version I, of missionary dating. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. kind of, you know, like kind of aspirationally hoping that your partner yeah. will come around. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and so I had already been at the thing for four years. I'd been on staff yeah. for four years and I just didn't see the fruit anymore. And so add to that just a lot of chaos in inside the church. My, um, my supervisor lost his battle to pancreatic cancer last year. And, um, he, he was the one person I was starting to open up to about my doubts. And he, um, he, what, what a sage he was, he (sighs) diehard theologian to the core, but it's, it felt like he really, he really got the Jesus movement Mm -hmm. and could see things so clearly and so openly more than anybody else on staff there. Wow. So I, I started opening up to him. Yeah. And, um, let him know I can't, I can't hold on to this job. I can't, I can't be here anymore. And he, he told me, my supervisor said, you just let me know when you're ready. And I am going to go to bat for you. I'm going to, wow. I'm going to help you out of this thing. And he, uh, he died oh, a lot quicker, a lot quicker than any of us expected. And, um, so I, I was at a crossroads. Oh my gosh, what do I do? The one person who knew that That's right. I, I wanted to get out of this thing and that I wanted to be more open about who I was is gone now. So mm. I got a new supervisor, which was actually the lead pastor of our church. Mm. And I felt the time, the time is now, um, losing that supervisor. It was, it was the hardest, closest death that I've ever had. And yeah. it really reminded me, God, right. Life is a vapor. Yes. I, it's time. It's time to move on. I can't do this anymore. So I opened up to my lead pastor, um, not about the sexuality side of things, but yeah. all about doubts and unbelief and where I've been spiritually and how I can't do this job anymore. And yeah. he was really shocked. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I'd love to hear a bit about your story and your background, but then I'd love to speak even more about kind of what being on on this side of maybe a previous deconstruction, like how you engage with hope and beauty and community and belonging and on this side of maybe what your background, how'd you come from? So, yeah. So uh, my background, um, I'm from um, Maryland and uh, my parents were raised um, Baptist in North Carolina. Mm. And so they actually, I, I didn't notice until like talking to them when I grew when I got older, but the church we went to, which is like a church of Christ, mm. which is still on the quite conservative side. Um, that was a huge step towards like being a little bit more progressive for them. Mm. So it's like really interesting how like our family, like through the generations, just, just like keep taking steps wow. in a more like progressive direction, which is really kind of interesting. To that me. is really interesting. So yeah. So growing up, I was in, a church that they didn't allow instrumental music and 
they didn't like it when women wore like pants like you were allowed but like you know it was considered kind of rude Mm. and women couldn't stand up during service um and and socially like they were definitely against gay marriage Mm. and they Mm. were lukewarm on women's representation and anything to do with race was like pretty much not spoken of you know to keep everyone comfortable right so it helped that my parents didn't seem to take any of that very seriously so I kind of got the idea that it was just like a little play that we would go to on Sunday but Mm. so then I went to like a actually similar doctrinally but rebranded to be cool and millennial yes (laughs) oh there's so many of those out there (laughs) yeah it was like skinny jean wearing Mm -hmm. casters yep and so and the awesome worship band but like really like doctrinally they were very very much the same like not a lgbtq Mm -hmm. like never was there a woman speaking on the pulpit completely silent about like um the harmful nature of like racism in the u.s Mm. and so i realized that especially like these past few years i realized how much i had been just kind of sitting in the middle in a place of self-imposed numbness i guess Mm. i was mildly sympathetic to people who were fighting for like gay rights, trans rights, um, Mm. representation of women, even the leveraging of women's strengths in Mm. worship. And I think I had been sitting in the middle, sort of mildly sympathetic because it was more comfortable to sort of ignore the pain of the present and like sympathize with the people that I encountered every day, every week in church, like yeah. it was more comfortable to like sympathize with their point of view than to sympathize with the much more severe pain and discomfort that was being caused by their point of view. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Anytime anyone said something horrible, I wanted to believe that they didn't really mean it. Mm. Or that like the fact that women couldn't speak in service was just like not that big a deal, you know. It's like oh well, you know, there are lots of other ways, but you know, and you know, with um, gay rights, I was like, well, you know, we'll get there eventually. But I wasn't doing anything or saying anything that mm. would help at all. I was just kind of trusting that progress would occur on its own. Yeah, yeah. progress would occur without anyone's participation. Right? Yeah. And I think part of that came from just believing that everyone really did have at base the same desire for everyone to be, like, happy and free that I did. And it it was basically just ignoring the uncomfortable things in the news or, like, Mm -hmm. just ignoring the ways people were and are being treated. Mm -hmm. Um, And at a certain point, it's it's interesting how, you know, something that we would maybe give a free pass of being, like, if they're ignoring it, we might give it a free pass of being, you know, just a happenstance or an ignorance. Like, when it's happening systemically, when it happens repeatedly, it becomes a form of violence. Like, the fact that they're just consistently ignoring this thing. I remember when the march or the gathering, whatever you want to call it, happened in Charlottesville. I texted my dad the next day, which was a Sunday, 
to ask him if I just directly asked him, I was like, were the words white supremacy spoken from your pulpit this morning? And he said, he literally, his response was no, why? And I was like, okay, so there's some layers here of like, you have no idea why I'm even asking you this question. And that's like 16 layers below the fact that the question needs to be asked in the first place. But it was just like such a strange, like everything you're saying about this, like it's like these environments, um, within you know evangelical christianity so often these environments are like this celebratory oh we don't we don't talk about politics here we don't get involved in these issues we don't do you know what you said in your submission like the realities of thriving bigotry and systemic racism it's almost like these environments pat themselves on the back for not getting involved and just keeping it about the quote gospel and it's like what the hell is the gospel to you if you're not going to talk about this stuff so I guess, like a lot of people that call, I'm sure, I was uh, raised fundamentalist, Baptist, in the Bible Belt, you know, the whole deal, homeschooled for a while, and then was in a small private Christian school, and basically the whole conservative politics and religion are tightly intertwined there, and uh, it's, it, it is still like that for 98% of my family, so mm-hmm. an extended family. So um, I definitely, as a kid, I don't really know why I feel the need to emphasize this. I definitely feel like I had a personal relationship with Jesus. It was super important to me as a kid and even as a, in college, probably. So I guess it was about seven years, six or seven years ago when I really started the process of deconstruction. And I kind of like to think of it as like I had a bunch of these, you know, pillars holding up my faith. And Mm -hmm. once one got, uh, once one came down, it was like a domino effect. And then, and then they all kind of came down. Um, Was there a catalyst specifically? Was there something that uh, made you realize uh, something's wrong? Well, my, um, about seven years ago, my sister came out, um, as gay and then really all within it was kind of crazy within the same year several of my best friends did as well Mm. and so that started at least the deconstruction out of fundamentalism I think at least the whole evangelical super conservative Christianity that I was in and I kind of started heading towards a more progressive Christianity Mm-hmm. Um, but even after that, it was just, I don't know. It was like one thing after another, like I just had some rough stuff with like extended family and had a miscarriage at one point and got all the Christian platitudes about, you know, like, Oh, that was, God must've wanted that baby back or, you know, stupid stuff that people oh. said. And my husband and I were pretty newly married at the time. And so that was kind of a big thing in, in our church. I was like, man, this like this is not none of it felt right. Like I was still super into my relationship with Jesus, but it just something about it just felt so wrong. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another. <laughs> and progressive Christianity <laughs> turned into like a just a total slide down into not anything (laughs) (laughs) probably just within the last year actually and and again it's really hard to like pinpoint one thing because it's so many things that 
Well, and like you said, happened. it's a, it's so it's so much of a slide. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like the more I read from progressive Christian authors, the more I'm like, nope, I don't want this. Like, nope, nope, nope. This is not. None of this is jiving anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's just continually running into that place where you know these beautiful people who are so much better than the God that they are gathering to worship, and that incompatib- right. that incompatibility is really hard to sit with. Right, right. And getting rid of the whole idea of, well, first I rejected hell, the idea of hell, and then, and then heaven. <laughs> and, and, you know, it just, the whole idea of a God sending people to hell, just, I couldn't reconcile that with worshiping him or him being good or anything. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And then after that, I also was like, well, then, you know. I don't, none of this, if you, if you really like believe the Bible, how can you also reconcile this God that you're worshiping and you say he's good if mm-hmm. you're so, even sort of following the, what the Bible says, you know? Right. So uh, it was just too many, too many contradictions for me. So I think it all kind of came to a head about a year ago and I just was, I don't know. I just had this really long conversation with my husband and I was like, I don't think that I can be called a Christian at all. Like I, I wouldn't even say I believe in anything. (laughs) Mm. Um, Was that something, is he on the same kind of wavelength or was that something that was hard for him? I think it was a little hard, but we had already, I mean, he was, he's very much in the, at the time, even like a year ago, he was very much in the progressive world. So and, and we hadn't even been to church in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he was very open-minded and understanding. You know, it, it was hard for him, I think, just to hear me struggling. I think that was the hardest thing for him, was mm-hmm. just hearing me agonize over it. Because it was, it was really hard just going through all that. It's but funny because then, when you stop believing in hell as a Christian, uh, yeah. when you account for... Like in my experience, it was study that led to me thinking, wow, the way this this is spoken of, we've got all these words that are mistranslated, we've got Jesus speaking poetically and figuratively and that being taken literally, and hell totally doesn't right. exist, and I have a more universalist view, and all of that is wonderful. And then yeah. the, the irony is that when you examine heaven through the same lens and it goes away, exactly, then hell which always brought you fear and heaven which always brought you this great hope and longing and 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 happiness and now that that whole thing is flipped like the dismantling of hell brought you joy but the dismantling (laughs) of heaven is anxiety because you don't have these these pillars to to look forward to and to long for in the future that are kind of holding everything up and you don't have that assumption or that foregone conclusion that everything will be fine in those in those things and so I know for me, there was a lot of anxiety with realizing some of that. And did you find some of that to be true for you as well? Oh, definitely. And I really hadn't either. I never in my life had I experienced like a panic attack (laughs) ever. And actually, it's what sound crazy, but that's what sent me to therapy for the first time in my life, because I was laying in bed just with this like, at night, not being able to sleep and feeling like, just this elephant was on my chest and like I couldn't even breathe I was just panicked I was panicked Mm. and it was definitely amplified by my family 
and they knew like it kind of came out because my parents kept drilling me about well when like y'all going to church like when are you gonna go to church back again and blah 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 and when are you gonna we have two small kids now we have a a six-year-old and a or a four-year-old and a one and a half-year-old so they're when are you gonna dedicate the kids to the lord and blah, blah blah so eventually it came out that i was like okay, guys, this is like not something. And I kind of gave them the very watered down version of my deconstruction and it, it didn't go well. So mm-hmm. I don't need to go into like a, a ton of detail, but it didn't go well. So mm. I cared so much about their opinion and, you know, for their approval. And so it was really hard to have that serious rift in our, our family. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all that sent me to <laughs> therapy and that has been super helpful. (laughs) Would highly recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process, but it's definitely getting better uh, for sure. God, I love that because I think I'm just getting to the place where you were when you texted your dad, because Mm -hmm. uh, in the past, before the last years of Trump and everything, I had been doing the thing where if something really terrible and horrifying happened, to like a gay person or a black person or an immigrant or, or a woman, I would be like, oh, this is just a blip. Like, mm. but now like I've actually like read more and educated myself and experienced actually more things yeah. that are that indicate that this is not a blip. Like this is all of these systems of like interlocking oppression, they are systems. And yeah. so now that I know I'm moving from just being passive in the middle, trusting in things that are convenient for my comfort to like just saying things, like saying awkward things, um, saying uncomfortable things. And I realized that like, that's like literally the least I could do to at least just say like, don't talk about Mexican people like that or you know, don't, like don't like talk about trans women like that you know yeah. like I know it's like, literally the least I can do but after like sitting in the middle for so long and basically being forced to see that things are systemic yeah that I found like courage somewhere you know yeah. like like anger and like from that anger like courage to be willing to piss a lot of people off mm-hmm. and to like empathize more with the people who are systemically divided from me, who are systemically hidden from me, to empathize more with those people than with the like kind of wallowing comfort of the people who like are right in front of my face mm-hmm. on Sunday morning. Yeah. So I don't know. And where do you feel like for you now, where does that leave you in regards to your relationship to faith or spiritual practice or gathering in a community where do you find you know with this this complicated mix of no longer wanting to be kind of satisfied with this kind of middle ground that a lot of these people are taking but also if you share some of the same belief and you know share some of these meaningful relationships and a desire to gather and be a part of these communities. Like, where do you feel like that, that has you now, um, as far as your relationship towards belief and, and meaning? So with my, um, super cool millennial hipster church, I had (laughs) to stop going because they just wouldn't say anything Mm. about me too. 
they wouldn't say anything about Black Lives Matter. Uh-huh. They wouldn't say anything about the attempts to erode gay marriage and really like just disgusting red meat attacks on trans people. Yeah. And so they just wouldn't say anything. And then I realized that this is just a I'm I'm kind of discouraged by the vehemence of my reactions to the church I used to love because now I just think of it as a a comforting country club, yeah. social club yeah. for people who want to sing to nice worship music. Mm-hmm. And it's like really discouraging to me that as far as I can tell, that is accurate. Yeah. And I just want more for that community, but I, I basically left and like stopped tithing and started like looking more online and like kind of pulling a couple of friends from that church who kind of felt like I did to sort of like come back and regroup, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a process, especially when it feels like instead of like empathizing with the people who are uncomfortable looking at mass trauma <laughs> that's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. Um, and empathizing with people that I can't, I don't always like actually have the privilege of having a relationship with. Like, I don't know that many like immigrants. Um, I know like black people. So that's, so that's, it's nice to like, you know, kind of convene and like talk about how we're dealing with with current movement. Um, but like, and I don't know a lot of trans people. So it feels sort of like, um, you know, reaching out for like kind of the next monkey bar and not like having it in terms mm-hmm. of community because like, now I'm in a place where I wouldn't be damaging to, yeah. you know, people who are facing different systemic challenges than I'm facing. So mm-hmm. now that I'm finally at a point where I wouldn't be like just another ignorantly damaging person, mm-hmm. I have like reached out and I haven't found the next monkey bar yet, but I'm getting closer to like having the community that includes more yeah. people. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that's good. And so I was left without a job from the church that I I was trying on my own terms to get out of and try to rediscover me. And so they forced me into it a little ahead Mm -hmm. of time. But in the wake of all of that, in this reconstruction phase of my life, it is so so painful and i i really wouldn't have it any other way i i feel like i think it's a pete holmes who said and i forget where but deconstruction is absolutely necessary there comes a point in time in your life where you got to clear out the furniture the Mm. the shaggy carpet doesn't work anymore and you got to clear that shit out yeah and i feel I've done that and here I am left with an empty room and tattered wallpaper and I have all these pieces of who I know I can be and the person that has always been there and religion and society has has told me couldn't I I couldn't be that person and now I'm trying to stitch things together and trying to put furniture in the room and it it hurts It, Mm. it hurts to get stitches and surgery in I have been really battling I, it's it's just a mental health crisis, but yeah. it just feels like all all the shit inside is bubbling up to the surface, and I want it to. I want I want to feel, <laughs> um, I want to feel all these emotions because I know on the other side of it, it's so good and so beautiful. Mm. And 
I'm, I'm not alone. I have a really, really good network of friends, most of which don't even live in the same town as me. They uh-huh. live two hours north in a big city, and they've been through the same journey, and they've come uh-huh. out out of church, out of being on staff, out of being closeted and they're they're just there with open arms and i i don't know what i did to deserve people like that but i've needed them and they're right here and it's it's yeah it's it's gonna be good and long-lasting impact on the brain and the body, and I believe that the specific form of religious belief that is evangelical Christianity has noticeable and troubling effects on people, particularly for the ones who were raised within it as children. Survivors must have the permission to know and to be in touch with the full scope of what has happened to them if they are going to heal. They have to be willing able and brave enough to become curious about what happened in their minds during their developmental years and what stories their bodies are telling now. This work intends to act as a beacon, to release that permission, and to give an accurate name to the often mysterious embodied experience of countless people who are coming out of the belief and practice of evangelicalism. For so many of my friends and clients alike, When I tell them I believe that what they're experiencing in their psychology and physiology is not only normal in light of their experience, but deserves the term trauma, the relief is palpable. So if you lose, if you've lost hope in the sense of the easy, detached hope, the foregone conclusions and assumptions you had (laughs) growing up, uh, the question then becomes, how do I build hope? Right. How do I right, how do right. I intentionally cultivate hope yes. in a way that is meaningful to me and that I'm a part of fostering who yes. I want to be in the world I want to see? And so, yes, what is it that you're finding you're clinging to these days? Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Like, I am clinging to just the changes that I've seen in myself and my my own personal perspective. And it wasn't this way immediately, but just over the last year, things that have kind of come about, like, I, I feel like for the first time, and I I guess I would consider myself agnostic, (laughs) maybe somewhere between agnostic and atheist. I don't know. Even just saying that still makes me like cringe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, oh, that feels like I shouldn't say that. But that's probably where (laughs) I am. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I feel like since kind of coming to that realization, so many things about myself have changed. Like I, for example, 
I feel like for the first time since kind of walking away from a lot of that, I, I feel like I'm in my body for the first time. Like I have a real appreciation for it at all. Mm -hmm. Like what it, what it can do and, and how I feel and just connecting with my emotions and, and not trying to push those away as bad or something to pray about and it'll get fixed or whatever, just confronting things and not, not pushing everything uh, to the side with like these Christian platitudes or whatever. So that has been really, really huge for me. I, I think as far as the whole heaven and hell thing goes and, and knowing that there's not, or in case I believe that there's not an afterlife, life is just super, <laughs> super precious to me now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have these, I had a moment like the other day I was rocking my, she's one and a half, my daughter. And, and I just felt like so, it was just a very, instead of like an out of body, it was a very like in body experience yeah. where I was just in awe of the moment, just like rocking her to sleep and knowing that it wouldn't last and knowing that this wasn't something that I would have forever. Yes. It just was so meaningful and I don't think I'll ever forget it. Um, yeah. You don't have anything lingering in the backdrop that is always no. subduing the present. No, I totally, I totally right. get that. I've been having that right. happen a lot because I have a 10 month old and oh. yeah, every, every lingering thing I, I might've been still holding out as far as, yeah. as far as uh, the evangelical God goes has just, yeah. she's just destroyed all of those things in such <laughs> right? a wonderful no. way. Just because the experience of loving someone like that is so yes. enlightening. Yes, uh, it's crazy. And you and you get to just thinking. You can't help but think, "This is just me, and I'm I'm nothing special in a lot, in so many ways. Like I'm just a human person. There's so many yeah. of us. And if God yeah. can't be better than me when it comes to God's children, then I don't know why I would bother worshiping." Uh, right. You know, God's going right. to have God's going to have to be better than us to be remarkable. Yes. Exactly. And, and one of the biggest things that had me deconstruct away from hell, nothing has changed my life more than having kids as far as I think I've like deconstructed so much because of them because I just like the whole parent analogy for God, I'm like, "Wait, what? <laughs> like no way, man. No way would mm-hmm. I ever send my kids to hell for anything it doesn't even make sense it doesn't and it not only is it not only is it a low bar to set parentally but it has actually enabled terrible parenting for centuries because people have looked at that and pointed and said i'm being no different than god and that i you know i punish and i'm punitive and uh and i i seek retribution and i demand you know justice of of this sort of retributive design and all those other things so yeah it is uh, right. It is incompatible with anyone who's ever experienced the kind of love yeah. you have for a child. That that's exactly that's exactly how I feel. And part of this comes just down to even how I was parented, which was super, of course, steeped in fundamentalism. But mm-hmm. I don't parent even a little bit like my parents did. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so it's so different, and a lot of it it doesn't feel natural because you know it's like. You know, I feel like the most natural thing in the world is, oh, I'm just going to parent how my 
parents did it. And that originally that's how I started out. And then I just, before he was even in the discipline phase of life, I was like, well, mm. there's so many things that I can't do <laughs> mm. to you, you know, as my kid. And so that, that was also part of the whole. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to be more creative. You have to, I think I'm oh going to have gosh. to learn to teach and spend yeah. time. Like I'm not going to be able to discipline in the sense of like, you just go away because I don't want to deal right. with you. You know, it's like if I was to be, if I was to be fully invested and decent, it's like I have to be more present when you're having, yes. you know, when you're being inconsiderate or rude and I have to be yes. more creative. I can't just be like, well, if I hit you, then that fixes it. it exactly. Um, which was exactly. relied on. Yeah. Far too heavily in my case as well, you know, growing yeah. up. So I yeah, think that's a, sure. that's for sure a, an adventure unto itself. I don't know if you've seen Speed Racer. So few people have. But, uh, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> there's a moment where John Goodman is saying to his son in the movie, he says, you know, if you walk out that door and you're like, oh, here comes the cliche. He's like, I want you to know it's always open. Like, yeah. How many, wow. how many kids could have used that talk, you know, in life? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Wow, that's good. Man, it's so much fear. I, I'm like, that's another thing with parenting. Like, man, I am so happy to not pass on all that fear to my kids. Like, it just, oh, yeah. oh man. So that's a really cool thing that you found then as far as kind of yeah. cultivating defiance. Uh, not yeah. just for your on behalf of yourself, but now those that you love and those that you're caring for. So yeah. would that play into like the question, and the, this is a question we're asking a lot of people for this season, which is yeah. sort of what lesson have you learned that stands out to you as being the thing you fought the hardest for and the thing that's the most precious to you now? Um, I would say that the most precious thing to me now is just my my kids and the way that I'm raising them and my I guess my un, this is so weird because it's supposed to be like a Christian thing but really my unconditional love for people and for mm. my kids being those people but mm. just people in general man like people are no longer projects to me mm -hmm. I don't feel this mm. need to be constantly worrying about, oh, am I steering this conversation in the right direction? Am I like, how am I going to get them to church? And how am I, or how am I even going to find out? Do they believe in God? You know, like we need to have this conversation sometime soon. You know, there's just none of that even exists. And I can just love people and just love them for their interests and love them for what they bring to a friendship or any kind of even a working relationship. I'm also a nurse, so I also work, but I just feel like these, I've had these really great relationships kind of start to blossom. Well, that's incredible. I mean, I, and thank you for like sharing all that. My, my sure. immediately, my questions are, cause I just think yeah. it would be so instructive and comforting to people who are going to be continually resonant with your story is yeah. how, first of all, how did you find these people, these, these mm -hmm. amazing new friends and community that have, mm -hmm. you've been able to lean your weight on? How, how did you connect with and find those folks? Yeah. It actually stems back to the church, <laughs> Yeah, the, the church that I worked for and went to for 10, 10 years. My best friend of all time, I met him there 
back when I first joined the church and started playing on the worship team, he we really, really connected. We had similar personalities and senses of humor, and mm. he's a musician. And over time, he eventually opened up to me to say, I'm gay. Can you can you handle this? Um, I, I I know it's a lot, and if you don't want to be my friend, I understand. But wow. so my best friend turned out to be someone I could I could relate to and resonate Deep with yeah. on every single level. And so he and his his partner they've been together for five years. His partner's from this big city area north of me, and so he's been living and creating his new life in that city for a few years now and so out of his love and devotion to me my friend any chance he gets he'll invite me up to that city and mm. he's introduced me he's plugged me into all of these communities and it just feels like anywhere we go any bar any restaurant you'll eventually find people who say oh you used to go to church oh yeah me too i'm a pastor's kid and i'm over it and it, this <laughs> there it's just flooded with people with a similar story wow. and you don't really have to work hard to find them. So that's, that's where it came from. And wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and I resonate a lot with that, the metaphor you're using of kind of the, you know, clearing the furniture out of the room, kind of doing yeah. the necessary updating when the old stuff doesn't ring true or feel like you anymore. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to that, new group of friends who you're, you have that you can walk through this with, mm-hmm. what else do you find yourself putting in that room yeah. on, on this side, you know, of the experience, mm-hmm. either literal things or aspirational things you wish to be in that room? Like, right. Like, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I feel like I finally have permission. I feel that desire again to be creative, to, mm. to write music and to read and to watch foreign films that yes. I, I had, I had the time and I had um, I had the space to do all the things that made me happy and gave me joy while I went to church and worked for church. But it was so soul sucking in a way that hmm. I couldn't. I just felt like I I have to put on a show. I have to act a certain way and I just can't be. But now, even with so much uncertain, I don't know where I'm going to work <laughs> this year. Yeah. I don't know. Out of all that, I know who I am. And in, mm. in this, this rebuilding phase, I'm just constantly getting reminded of um, who I am. So I'm, I'm going to concerts like nobody's business mm. <laughs> and just experiencing live music because it makes me come alive in ways that I thought church and spirituality did, but it didn't. And, and that maybe that that experience and that institution kind of owned and had the copyright and the trademark yeah. on those things in your life. Oh, yeah. And when it yeah. doesn't, like those are things you yep. get to bring with you and you get sure. to make part of that becomes the decoration and the yeah. refilling that reservoir, you know, You're because right. that's the type of energy, that's where it's going to come from. It can be kind of hard to find the kind of spiritual community that you're looking for in, in spaces like that. But do you feel like you're predominantly wanting to find it still inside of like a church space or what's your relationship? Do you still feel kind of committed to to gathering in that kind of space and that kind of belief space? <laughs> I don't know. Something that's happened is that I guess I just know that if so many people were doing what I was doing and like, I've like read the Bible like every day, like I read the entire Bible one year, like I was super committed. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, the people who do that the most are the most likely to be like uh, xenophobic 
like mm. white supremacist homophobic people is scaring me it's mm. scared me into thinking that like wondering whether the bible has any transformative power in sure. people's lives right and so right. so now i'm not committed to finding it necessarily in a Christian space, but I do know that there are, I'm starting to think that maybe people's desire to just care and love other people precedes their theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what's like, like, I think like one, the, the causal relationship is not what I would have yeah. thought. Um, wow. So, kind of a harsh wake-up call when you start seeing it that way that's really painful well I mean and and the good news is is that there's plenty of space for and potential for gathering and belonging and and activism and truth and beauty and love and celebration outside of religious spaces even much less definitely outside of predominantly white evangelical spaces that uphold heterosexism as the highest law. So the good news is, is that there's plenty of, but they don't want you to know that. Of course, they don't want you to know that when you're inside of it, it's like, it could only find it here. And girl, I'm here to tell you it is. I only found it once I left. I only really found the full, the full deliverance of those things, um, on the other side and outside of that space. So yeah, I have, I have a lot of hope and and a lot of uh well it's funny I was about to say like hope and faith and I was like faith hope and love all three of these things but I do I have a lot of those exactly I have a lot of that now and I have a lot of that within my body like held for you and for your journey I mean I believe that when you start talking about this stuff and you start seeing this stuff really clearly I think you do naturally end up start drawing people unto yourself in relationships that see these things too and are also just as dissatisfied with that you know the status quo inside of these these previous spaces and these kind of quote middle spaces so I you know I'm encouraged for you I think you're on a really great journey and a really great path of of awakening and awareness and and at the very very least I mean you've got this community of like the airing of grief community in this space and I'm I'm positive that like this conversation you know will resonate with so many people I mean it really is Um, even in my coaching work that I do, I hear from people all the time, this kind of, you know, they woke up to everything you're talking about in this reality. And they were like, I can't go back because that space that I was in, that I was just getting by and it was fine because things didn't affect me. It's no longer okay with me that I'm just subsisting on the things that just don't affect me. Um, so yeah, girl, join, join our club. We've got you. We're here. (laughs) We're good. Happy to have you. Yeah. (laughs) We had some conference I went to like in junior high I'll never forget it there was this guy and this pastor and the stadium wherever we were I don't even remember where we were but it was huge and it was filled with kids like seventh and eighth graders Mm -hmm. and he was talking about like how literally you should be preaching the gospel and like telling people about Jesus and asking them where they're going to go when they die every conversation you have or you're not doing your part you know and that stuck with me. And not that I really did that, but I always felt guilty about not doing it. <laughs> right, right. So uh, now I don't, I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> no. And all of the, I mean, I heard it said once and it, that it always stuck with me. And in, this is a good thing to have stick with you, that the majority of evangelical sermons can boil down to being about that you need to give more. 
You need to pray more. You need to worship more. You need to witness more. So there's four or five things. You need to read your Bible more, uh, more quiet time, that sort of thing. So there's four or five messages out there that every one of the sermons tends to boil down to. And as a result, everything that we encounter in life is a source of guilt and shame. Everything. Not feeling like we measure up. And uh, because you can always do better. See, and that's the secret there when you want to manipulate someone is you don't say, here are the strides you've made and aren't you remarkable? And the fact that you even desire to be decent, isn't that wonderful? And here are some things that would make you fall more in love with people. Uh, You know, that's not the message. The message is you could always do better. And as a result, you're never good enough. Right. And it's just to not have that burden anymore and to feel like, like I said, for the first time, like to feel like I'm in my body and that I am responsible for my own life and responsible for my choices and teaching my kids that they're responsible for their choices and that they can love people and treat people well. And that's a good thing. And they can put up boundaries and say no. And that's a good thing. And like all of these different things that I just I just didn't know growing up. And so, like I said, the best part about it is just passing that on to my kids. And like every day we have with my four-year-old, man, he he just asks these great questions and we just have awesome conversations, even though he's only four, about anything and everything and a lot about feelings and a lot about emotions and none of that that I had. And I hope that eventually someday that he does it better than me. If he wants to be a parent someday, I hope he improves upon that. But I just feel like, you know, for the next generation's sake, it, it's it's got to be an improvement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's so, the hope, isn't it? It's like our immortality yeah. is kind of in the ones that we leave behind. And right. And when that's the case, we just hope that we, re- we raise a generation that's a bit more tender, a bit more empathetic than we were. Right. Are you feeling like there's a necessary piece of furniture going into that room that has to do with spirituality and or even mm-hmm. religion or anything yeah. like that 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 you that you feel maybe could be important for you to put back together even if it's something remotely different than where you were before or a, an iteration or evolution of something are you feeling any kind of new freedom mm-hmm. to reapproach or is it just too early for that I really think it's too early I uh, yeah. I stopped going to church when my job ended And that curiosity to explore, was Jesus real? And even the teachings of the mystics, things like that. I've, I've been dabbling in that for the past year or so, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm grieving a job and I'm grieving somewhat of a community and I I just don't want anything (laughs) to do with music or any, any spirituality right now, even though those questions are really still burning. They're on the back burner, I guess. And yeah. I guess the the belief that I've had for most of my life is just the belief in in this right here, right now, yeah. in the yeah. universe. And so I've I've always been a, a science nerd. <laughs> and yes. so if anything, I um I'm picking up picking back uh I'm picking those books up on um string theory that mm. I've had on my shelf for a long time and just diving back into Good. The universe and reality and consciousness. So Just start with what you like that. start with what you can what you feel like you can trust and really know and discover and then yeah see where it where it evolves to and what it turns yeah. into and I mean I feel like I, that's a similar path for me and yeah because the thing is I mean it, it sounds like considering your story as as I know it 
it feels like, ironically, this has been like, you've just gone through a birth process, yeah. you know, a re yeah. it's, it's been an ironic kind of rebirth and it's been painful. And I'm, and I, as I'm sure childbirth must be terrifying, I don't remember, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a, it's a being kind of thrust out and yeah into a crazy world where all the things that you could depend on are gone and you have to start to fend for yourself and yeah. discover who you are and where you end and everything else begins. Cause yeah. it's like a literal detachment and, yeah. and you, and it's like, you have to start from scratch and figure things out. And yeah. it's like, you've been born. <laughs> yeah. But thankfully there's room to grow and I'm yes. bigger <laughs> and stronger uh, and so starting good, right? to walk again. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like once you, once the incubation process is done and you kind of feel like, oh, well, I guess this is as big as I can get. And I guess this is what I am and what I can become. And I guess this is the only environment in which I can live and grow. And, and I'm kind of out of room. And then you realize, oh, I haven't even started. There's, there's infinite possibility and room and potential and, but it's a painful thing and it's jarring and it doesn't always feel like it was our choice. But, and I think that's like, for me and for, and for the work we're doing, I mean, that's, you know, even as I hear you tell that story, it, you're still really in the throes of sorting Mm -hmm. through a lot of that. And there's still a lot of there, there still is this grief process that you want to, you want to take the time it takes, but because of your, how unique your story is, it, it seems like you're almost kind of overlapping and springboarding into kind of the best parts of what comes next the you know already feeling the joy and already feeling the like the light however far down the end of the tunnel it may be seems like it's clear and bright to you and there's already a great energy propelling you forward and compelling you forward and and that's unique and I and I think I just think there's a lot of people who I know deeply resonated with your with your story already and unbelievable bravery to move forward and to really step into this, your life more fully than maybe you had before is incredibly aspirational and is already speaks to the reconstruction and joy that we're hoping will be the hallmark of this season, you know, and and not only for us, our little audio community, but also for yeah. us, you know, for me, like, you know, yeah. personally, and you know, it's, that's, that's the energy I'm following personally. And, and I know that a lot of us are, and, you know, so you continue to be our patron saint. <laughs> oh gosh. You have no idea what that means. And thanks for seeing value in the thing that I'm living through. Oh, um, it's well, so hard. It's so hard when you're in it to yeah. see any redemption or any good, but hearing you say all those things, gosh, that, that means a lot for me. If I have a mantra now, it's from the TV show Angel, which is just the idea that if there's no grand scheme to everything and nothing that we do matters in light of that scheme, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. And and that's so awesome. That's to me, it's like that's the most succinct and economical way of saying something meaningful that I that is something I cling to that um, that I don't I kind of hear in what you're saying. So. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like it is like suddenly what you do, it, it, not just what you believe, but what you do really matters. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole another revolutionary idea. Like I said, everything is changed. <laughs> like nothing is what it was, but it's all it's all good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all good changes. Um, and I and 
man, I was just so, like I said, to this day, it's so ingrained in me to be like, oh, atheist, agnostic. Like, I feel bad even saying that still. That some part of me still feels like bad saying that. But, you know, and I was so ingrained that they were like the worst thing you could be. It right. is the absolute, there's nothing worse. And also not just that you're bad, but that that they would be hopeless and that there's no joy. And how can you have a meaningful life if you're not living for God? And that is just the opposite of what I'm experiencing. Like I have everything to live for. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how I feel. I have, I mean, I think I have more to live for than I ever did before. Mm. Well, it was so wonderful to get to talk with you and and connect with you and honestly like learn from you and learn from your experience. It's been really great and I hope that we'll be able to have a chance to do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your call. It was a complete delight and I'm very, very encouraged. Oh, good. Me too. You've been so remarkably vulnerable to to at every stage be willing to talk about it in real time and you know I just can't tell you what it means to me and what it's meant to this little community and what I'm sure this will as well and so you know just all the blessing in the world on you and and um, I just can't wait to hear all the beautiful things that grow out of all this shit you know I I'm just so I'm anxious to hear it and grateful as always that you would you'd be willing to tell us and, and share it with us. So, yep. Anyway, such a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Derek. Can't wait to listen to what you guys have coming up. And again, I appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk. Absolutely. It's really good to meet you on the phone. All right. Yeah, you too. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah. All right, girl. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and hopefully we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. All right. Can't wait to talk to you again. All right. I hope you found some resonance in the conversations this week. And every episode is kind of its own thing, so if you're new to us, you can look forward to a variety of approaches to our format. We have bonus episodes, unedited calls, and extra interviews at our Patreon, so if you want more, check us out there to support this work and help us keep doing it. The entry level of support gets you into our private Facebook page, which is just a great, kind group of people and a safe space to have questions and discussions of all kinds. I'm working on some musical remixes as well that will go out to Patreon when they're ready. If that empowering and scholarly snippet in the middle of the episode stood out to you, it's from You Are Your Own, which is by our producer Jamie. You can head to jamieleefinch.com and get the whole audiobook there or have it in a different medium. And if you liked some of that new energy and defiance we've been able to feature in the episode musically, definitely head to our producer Derek's website, derekweb.com. Tons of music to be found there, merch, tour dates, etc. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at any time. Our own website is theairingofgrief.com, and you can listen to any past episodes or read companion pieces there. And most importantly, 
you can leave us a message, which we would love to feature in an episode. Next week's episode will focus on presence. Kind of like how the caller this week said she had had a very in-body experience. Has that happened to you in a way that maybe it never did as an evangelical? When are your moments of greatest presence felt where you have a heightened sense of here and now? What very in-body experiences have you had? Click on the pull-down menu at our website to leave us a message. And tell people you know about the podcast if you think it might hold a good space for them too. I guess that's all for now, so we will see you again next week after church for the airing of grief.